Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is the producer extraordinaire, Hannah Five Names, and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. What a absolutely wacky wild card weekend in the National Football League. Teams that were supposed to thump their opponents did not. We did have one team that decided to go on the road and blow a 27-point lead in the second half. And Kirk Cousins, well... Showed why he's Kirk Cousins. Hey, fourth down play, need eight. Let's throw the two-yard pass. (laughs) Oh, and then we had a scoop and score? That proved to be the difference in the nightcap last night between the Ravens and the Bengals. We're going to get to it all this morning here on RP3 and Company. Good morning. Welcome to the show. Hope you had a tremendous weekend. We got a good show lined up for you today. Great way to kick off the week. Three guests lined up this morning. 7.30, Jeff Palermo from Tiger Rag Radio will join us as we talk all things LSU. Some good, some bad. The good, the LSU women's basketball team remains undefeated on the day they unveiled the Simone Augusta statue outside the PMAC. That was yesterday. The bad... The men's basketball team getting absolutely trucked by Alabama on Saturday. We'll talk to Jeff about all of that coming up at 7.30. At 8 o'clock, he typically joins us on Wednesdays, but because of travel issues this week, our friend Jay Walker, longtime voice of the Louisiana Raging Cajuns, will join us to talk men's basketball, getting yet another win over the weekend. The women's basketball team, They fell short in overtime, losing to Troy. And then right around the bend is going to be baseball season. We'll touch on everything with Jay coming up at 8 o'clock this morning. And then at 8.30, our bud John Sheeran, reporter from Cincy Jungle, going to help us recap Bengals v. Ravens. And a game that I predicted Bengals by 100 was, in fact, not Bengals by 100. But they did get the win. So we'll get to that. Plenty of college hardwood action to share with you as well. McNeese, UL, LSU. But we're going to start off with NFL wildcard weekend. And let's start off with the game that was the last one. Bengals-Ravens, AFC North rivalry game. First time they've ever met in the playoffs which is interesting because there's been multiple years where they both have made the playoffs, but this is the first time they faced off in the playoffs, and this looked like it was a done deal from jump. No Lamar Jackson. 
Tyler Huntley is banged up playing quarterback in this game for the Ravens. They're on the road at Cincinnati. Bengals got a bit of a chip on their shoulder because of the whole home field advantage being taken away for the AFC Championship game. Even if they do get there, they don't have a chance. So got a little edge to them. They're playing a division rival and a division rival that is wounded. No Lamar. Backup quarterback is hobbled. This should be a walk in the park. Low scoring affair early. And when Burrow hits Chase on that touchdown, you're like, here they go. Here they go. They're off to the races. Baltimore doesn't stand a chance. Well, not only do the Ravens hang tough, the Bengals have miscues left and right. Missed extra point, fumble, some drops, some bad play calling, and credit Baltimore for playing up. Playing with their backups, playing out with their best player, and they have been a shell of themselves since Lamar got hurt. They're not even remotely close to being the same team they are with them. And they make a game of it. They make a game of it. And this ball game is 17-17. Heading to the fourth quarter. Cincinnati was the favorite. The Bengals have Burrow and Chase and all of their best players. They're at home. Sidebar, Saints fan, how happy did it make you to see Eli Apple get burned terribly on that touchdown? He was just in, he was just in quicksand. What, what what just happened? Oh, the guy's running behind me. Oh, oh, that's a touchdown. There's a touchdown. There it goes. But they get a defensive play, a fumble that they return the whole way. Unbelievable. They get it, return the fumble all the way back for a touchdown. 90-plus yards. That's the go-ahead score, and that's your ball game. 24-17. Burrow, somewhat a pedestrian day at the office for him. Credit Baltimore's defensive scheme. By the way, their defense has not been good. Joe was only 23 of 32 for 209, one touchdown, no picks. Was sacked four times, though. Cincinnati could not run the football effectively. Had only 51 yards on the ground. Baltimore, meanwhile, rolled up 155 yards against Cincinnati's defense. Tyler Huntley actually threw for more yards and had more touchdown passes in this game than Joe Burrow. Didn't see that coming. Jamar went off, of course, nine catches, 84 yards, but they couldn't really ever kind of get things going. They had a lost fumble in this ball game. Eli Apple got burned, which is always kind of funny. But they find a way. 
They survive in advance, and I've said it before, over and over again, it does not matter. You don't get style points. So yes, they had to depend on Sam Hubbard returning a fumble 98 yards for a touchdown to win the ball game against a wounded division rival. But they won the game. And Huntley, not only did the Bengals recover the fumble and return it 98 yards, they also stripped him on a quarterback sneak at the goal line. He gets in there, Baltimore wins. Now, maybe Burrow can guide the Bengals down for a game-tying drive, but Baltimore was on the door, knocking at the door to win the ballgame. And they strip Huntley, and then they take it to the house, and that's your difference maker in this ballgame. Cincinnati moves on. 24-17. Earlier in the day, the New York Giants lost their final game of the regular season because it really didn't matter, so they arrested all their starters, had everyone healthy for their game against Minnesota. Vikings are at home. We've talked about Minnesota being a paper tiger, if you will, throughout the season. Anytime they faced tough competition, they usually faltered. They're at home against the G-Men. And the better team won. Because the Giants were the better team. May not be the more talented team, but the battle of the first-year head coaches went to the Giants. Kirk Cousins is what you think he is. Always. He was that way in Washington. He's been that way in Minnesota. He puts up a lot of numbers. Lots of numbers, Kirk does. He'll win you a fantasy football league championship every single year. You got Kirk, you got a great chance of winning your fantasy football league because he's going to throw for 30 touchdowns and more than probably 4,200 yards. But then he's going to have moments that make you go, what? And last night early last evening yesterday evening rather minnesota has a chance they haven't played their best game defense has not been great this year daniel jones goes for 301 yards two touchdowns no picks saquon barkley only rushed for 53 yards but did score two touchdowns giants were doing enough to win But Minnesota's at home. They got a chance. Giants do a nice job of trying to take Justin Jefferson out of the ballgame. He has seven catches, but only for 47 yards. But they have a chance. It's fourth down. Short yardage. Well, not really short yardage, right? Eight yards is not short. But what did they call up? Because apparently Kirk Cousins thought it was short yardage. Because on a fourth down play, it's fourth and eight. And what does Kirk do? Two-yard pass. Hey, guy, figure it out. Here's the ball. Figure it out. You got a DB on you, but figure it out. 
completes a short pass, ball game. Over. Vikings lose at home. Giants advance as the wild card team, 31-24. (laughs) Just like, really? Really, this is what's going on? Unbelievable. But once again, another close game, right? Bengals-Ravens came down to a fumble return for a touchdown. Single possession. Giants-Vikings, single possession victory for the road team. Dolphins-Bills. That's what kicked off Wild Card Sunday. Unbelievable. Credit the Dolphins for playing up. Credit the Dolphins on their third-string quarterback. No Tua, no Teddy Bridgewater. Teron Armstead's banged up, but he had to go of it at left tackle. They're on the road. And Buffalo's playing with all the emotion, right? They're still coming off one of their players being hospitalized for cardiac arrest. They're determined. They're the preseason favorites to go to the Super Bowl. They're at home. Orchard Park is a difficult place to play. And the Miami Dolphins said, really? Not so much. Buffalo jumps out to a 14-0 lead in this game. It's a two-touchdown game at the end of the first. And then the Dolphins come to life. 17 points in the second quarter, outscoring Buffalo 17-6. Then the Bills turned the table and they said, okay, we're going to try to win this one. But Miami keeps hanging around. And then the Dolphins score again in the fourth. Not enough as they fall short. Buffalo survives. 34-31. Josh Allen, 352 yards, three touchdowns. But my man has 30 turnovers this season, by the way, including the playoffs now. 30 turnovers. He is the second coming of Brett Favre. Josh Allen is going to give you some greatness. He's going to get you 350 yards and three touchdowns. And he's also going to have some stupid interceptions. And he had a couple yesterday, just like number four used to do back in the day for the Packers, always. Credit Miami as well because they got after Josh Allen. Sacked him seven times in this ballgame. Seven. Skylar Thompson, the third-string quarterback for the Dolphins. They're limited in what he can do. He was pretty good, though. 220, a touchdown, two picks, sacked four times. Miami couldn't run the ball either. They only had 42 yards rushing. That's it. But Allen had his interceptions. And they also, he also lost a fumble. Unbelievable. They let the Dolphins hang around, but they were able to escape with the win yesterday, 34-31. And credit Miami's coaching. Now, time management was bonkers at the end of this ballgame. There was a scuffle in this game between the two teams as well. Three-time defending AFC East champs avoided a major collapse by rallying for a 34-31 victory 
over the seventh-seeded and injury-depleted Miami Dolphins. Unbelievable. They were up 17 to nothing in this game, and they squandered it. Miami got the defensive touchdown off the fumble by Allen. Five yards for a touchdown. Cole Beasley's out there scoring touchdowns. Who knew that he was still in the league? I mean, I did, but still. (laughs) Oh, man. The game wasn't, though, decided until Buffalo's defense, which, credit them, they came to play. Buffalo's defense did. Forced six punts, forced two turnovers, and they stopped Miami on turnover on downs on the final possession. Thompson's pass on fourth and six went off the fingertips of tight end Mike Gusecki with 222 remaining. Sloppy game, but Miami gave it all they had, but Buffalo is able to survive in advance. And that was the story yesterday. Giants go on the road, get a win against Minnesota. It wasn't the prettiest game, but they got the job done. But the two heavyweights, the two Super Bowl contenders playing against division rivals on Sunday. How ironic is it that two of the Super Bowl contenders, both in the AFC, both are playing division rivals with backup quarterbacks with depleted rosters, and they both struggle to get the job done. Playing a team a third time, you hear it talked about all the time. But, man, I had to play a role yesterday. But credit Baltimore and Miami for playing inspired football. They were punching above their weight class yesterday. It wasn't enough to get the job done. But Cincinnati looks vulnerable and Buffalo looks vulnerable as well. They survive in advance, and that's the name of the game. But there's definitely some question marks now for Buffalo and Cincinnati. we got to take a timeout. When we return, we'll go back to Wild Card Weekend on Saturday. Had a pair of games as well. One was a blowout. The other one, a team choked away a 27-point lead. We'll recap it for you next right here on The Game. Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers and the World Series champion Houston Astros. A recent survey said that game listeners prefer our station than filing their taxes. Take that, taxes. This is the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Hey, if you scored yourself an Amazon Alexa or Google Home smart speaker for the holidays, you can now listen to the game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. That's right. Just ask your Alexa or Google Home to play the game, Southwest Louisiana. Once again, ask your Alexa or Google Home smart speaker to play the game, Southwest Louisiana. It's that easy. So do the smart thing and have the game, 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, with you at your office, your home, and everywhere you may go. Wild card weekend. Yesterday, three games came down to a single possession. Two of the Super Bowl contenders had their hands full with division rivals that had depleted rosters on their second or sometimes third string quarterback. 
By the way, those contenders were also at home. But wildcard weekend actually began on Saturday. And it started off with a division rival in the NFC. Seattle, San Francisco. Seahawks, great story this year. No Russell Wilson. They trade him away. And what do they get in return? Well, they get a playoff team. Geno Smith resurrected his career. Had a very good season. The running back out of Michigan State went over 1,000 yards. He's going to be your rookie of the year. Great story, great year for Seattle with not a lot of talent, but yet they found a way to go out there and become a playoff team. But they face their NFC West division rival, San Francisco 49ers. 49ers begin the season handing the keys over to Trey Lance. The gentleman that they drafted the year before and traded up to get, spent a bunch of picks to get. Well, he gets injured. They have to turn it over to Jimmy G, the guy they didn't want anymore, but yet stuck around. Then he guided them to greatness. Well, then Jimmy G gets hurt. And they turn to Mr. Irrelevant, the last player selected in the NFL draft, a rookie out of Iowa State, a guy who couldn't beat the Raging Cajuns in college, by the way. Brock Purdy. And everyone keeps waiting for the other shoe to drop on Brock. When's he going to hit a wall? And some people said, hey, sloppy conditions possible there at Levi Stadium in Santa Clara. Seattle's now going to be facing facing Brock a second time, so there's tape for them to break down. And what happened? Well, the Rook goes out there and throws for 332 yards, 18 of 30, three touchdowns, no picks, only sacked once. He put on a show. And the 49ers easily took care of the Seattle Seahawks. 41-23, that was the first game to kick off wildcard weekend back on Saturday. Geno, pretty good, 253 yards, two touchdowns and a pick. And they ran the ball 104 times. But they were no match for San Fran. And I've said this before, the reason why I like the 49ers to make it to the Super Bowl and the reason why I felt that they would probably be the best NFC team when it was all said and done, because they do two things really, really, really well. They play defense, they run the football. And now they got a guy who they didn't even think would probably be that good, who they drafted in the last round of the NFL draft, the seventh round with the last pick. He goes up there and torches a division rival for 332 yards in a playoff game. Christian McCaffrey... A buck 19 on the ground. They didn't even need Elijah Mitchell. They just had him out there running tough yards. Nine carries for two yards. That was it. That was all. Debo Samuel, they had no answer. None. 133 yards on six catches. Guy was phenomenal. Elijah Mitchell, the former Raging Cajun star, he caught one of Brock Purdy's touchdown passes. Total team effort. Nick Bosa recovered a fumble, and the 49ers easily move on 41 to 23. That was the first game of wildcard weekend, but it was the second one that was all types of special. The memes came out, the internet trolls came out. Trevor Lawrence looked terrible in that first half for the Jacksonville Jaguars. 
My man had four interceptions in the first half. Four. This is a 27 to nothing game in the second quarter. It becomes 27 to 7 at halftime. And no one, and I mean no one, thought that this was going to be a good game. No one thought that they had a chance to come back. The Chargers were on the road. They were going to get the win. They were going to move on. And Trevor Lawrence became a meme. But you know who celebrated the team victory at the Waffle House afterwards? It wasn't anyone with the Los Angeles Chargers. It was Trevor Lawrence who went to the Waffle House afterwards because he rallies the Jaguars in the second half 31-30. to The Chargers blew a 27-point lead in the playoffs. You know how hard that is to do? You have any idea how difficult it is? Like, I don't even think you can game plan to do that. Like, if you tried to blow a 27-point lead, you couldn't even do it as well as the Chargers did on Saturday night. Unbelievable. Just unbelievable. Lawrence, after throwing the four first-half interceptions, ends up throwing four touchdowns, 288 yards. Travis Etienne, the former Jennings High star and Clemson star, he goes over the century mark on the ground. And Justin Herbert. I keep getting told Justin Herbert's a generational talent. Justin Herbert may be closer to Kirk Cousins than he is to Joe Burrow. Just going to throw it out there. He's got a little Kirk in him. 273 yards, one touchdown. No interceptions. But just unbelievable. They just choked that game away. Just right away. Woof. What a performance. What a performance. We got to take a timeout. When we come back, we'll take your phone calls. Game hotline's open, 337-706-0111. That's 337-706-0111. You're listening to RP3 and Company. We're recapping Wild Card Weekend right here on the game. Southwest Louisiana Sports Station in your home for the LSU Tigers and the World Series champion Houston Astros. Tune in every weekday at 8.15 a.m. and 3.15 p.m. for the LSU Sports Update. Presented by Tibbs Trailers here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's Sports Station. Let's head out to the hotline. Welcome on Grant to the show. Wants to talk wild card weekend. Grant, good morning to you, bud. What's on your mind? Hey, good morning to you. Uh, a lot of interesting things, comments you were making about the playoff games. It was an enjoyable weekend. And uh, it's sure it's sad to think about that it's coming to an end here in football. Uh, but, yeah, there were some great games. Man, you were talking about the 49ers, and I'm a, a kind of a longtime 49er fan. And, you know, this next game is interesting that tonight because as a 49er fan, do I want to play against Tom Brady and the Bucks next week after what we embarrassed them a few weeks ago? You know that they're going to be play better and the Brady in the playoffs. Do I want any part of that, or do I want to beat the team I hate more than anything else? More than anything else, the Dallas Cowboys. 
I never get tired of beating Dallas. But <laughs> it's a well for for Grant for you it's a predicament right because Tampa and the Bucks are probably an easier matchup, right? right. They're they're the team that's under five hundred. Right. They look a little wounded. They've struggled this year. So you probably like your chances better to take on Tampa. That would, game would be also in Santa Clara. So you'd be at home for that, get the home crowd involved. But nothing brings 49er fans more enjoyment than beating the Dallas Cowboys. So it's it's, it's quite uh, quite the predicament for you, bud. I know. And so I'm, I'm thinking that I'm probably pulling for Tampa Bay, but, man, I just – I don't know. I just it worries me. I have to deal with Tom Brady, especially in how bad they look. We just played them a few weeks ago. Uh, I'm not a few weeks ago, but earlier in the season, and, and we just made him look so bad. So it just worries me that you know he has to play better, and that's concerning. But yeah, been enjoyable the playoffs. Been enjoyable the football season in general. You know, so we'll see tonight what happens. Uh, I think, I think actually my my heart tells me Dallas is, is probably going to beat Tampa Bay tonight, but. We'll see. And enjoy the show. Thank you. Appreciate the phone call, bud. Be safe out there today. That leads us to our poll question of the day. Because it's Dallas, Tampa Bay. They wrap up wild card weekend on this holiday weekend. Obviously, it's Martin Luther King Day today. We'll have Monday night football for you tonight. Pre-game begins at 7, kickoff 7-15, Dallas at Tampa Bay, last wild card game of the weekend. Who do you got? Because the narrative has been Tampa's going to win because Dallas is Dallas. And the Cowboys are going to Cowboy. They haven't won a road playoff game since 1993. Do you believe that's the long-term stat? They haven't won a playoff game. They're Dallas. They always find a way to flame out in the postseason. Cowboy fans are still watching the old VHS tapes of the glory years. Jerry Jones can't wait to hire Sean Payton to be the new head coach once he has to fire Mike McCarthy because Dallas will flame out, right? That's been the big narrative. But I'm going to let you in on something. As much as it pains me to say, Because you know your boy hates Dallas. Don't care for the Cowboys. I think Dallas wins tonight. I I, I just do. I think Dallas wins tonight. Everyone is against them, right? Everyone, the, the whole narrative is against Dallas. Everyone's expecting Dallas to fail. Everyone's expecting them to lay an egg on national television and get embarrassed yet again. Everyone's expecting Jerry Jones to possibly have to fire Mike McCarthy because Sean Payton's out there. It's all lining up all against the Cowboys. And I just feel like, eh. I've watched Tampa play enough times this season to know this is not a very good Tampa Bay Buccaneers team. And yes, they're at home. But it's not like playing in Tampa is a home field advantage. Right? This is not playing in Seattle or Kansas City or the Superdome. It's just not. They're a lackluster team. They've given forth lackluster effort all season long. There seems to be dysfunction with the Tampa Bay Bucs. Definitely feels like Tom Brady's not going to be going back to Tampa. I just don't know. Everyone's going against the Cowboys. 
which makes me feel like Dallas is going to win tonight. It's going to be ugly. It's not going to be pretty. Right? And the Cowboys look awful heading into the postseason, but so do so does Tampa Bay. It's not as if the Bucks look so much better than Dallas. They don't. You watch Dallas play and you're like, how did they win that many games? How's that even possible? See how they played in the finale against the Washington Redskins slash football team slash commanders. They had, they, had, they had something on the line and Dallas gave that performance. I get it. But Tampa Bay's looked awful all year. Would I be surprised if Tampa wins tonight? No, I wouldn't be surprised. But I think Dallas is going to win tonight. I think the Cowboys are going to get it. That's our poll question of the day. Who will win? Who will win tonight's wild card game? Will it be the Dallas Cowboys? Or will it be the Tampa Bay Bucks? Right now, 44% of you say Dallas. 56% say Tampa. Ton on Twitter says, Bucks aren't great. However, Cowboys are 0-7 against Brady, and Dak has thrown how many interceptions? I'm not saying the Cowboys can't win. I'm just saying it's pretty unlikely. And yeah, the, the mark against Tom, but the man's been playing football for 20 years. Dallas has been on like you know five different coach coaches and had four different starting quarterbacks during that stretch. So I don't know, you know, that, that's a stat that's being thrown out there. It, it is it is accurate, right? Dallas is 0-7 against Brady and company, but I don't know. Our guy, Salty Steve, says, this is like saying, would you rather be run over by a bus or a train? There isn't good outcome with either selection. This is correct. John Paul says, the Cowboys are the king of the choke, but the charges did a good job of it yesterday. Keep those votes coming on our poll question of the day. Leave your comments on Facebook and Twitter. Just make sure you keep it clean for the kiddos. We don't need no sideways comments out there today. Yeah, that, what, what a choke job. I mean, is there a possibility that one of these teams is going to choke worse than what the Los Angeles Chargers did over the weekend? Probably not. You're up by 27, and you lose the game. You're up by 27, and you lose the game. But as Salty Steve says, the Chargers won in the end. They're going to win the Sean Payton lottery. They could. We said that could be a possibility. We'll see if the Chargers... Now, the Chargers' ownership is notoriously cheap. They would have to pay out Staley and then have to pay Sean double what Staley makes. Is the Chargers' ownership really going to fork over the dough to take their team over the top? Hmm... It's typically not what they do. Staley's making, they're going to have to pay maybe four or five million dollars to buy him out. Sean's going to probably cost you 10 mil a year at least. Are they going to pay the money to fire their coach and then turn around and have to pay their new coach double while they're still paying out the old one? I don't know. I don't know. We, we all feel like the Chargers is the best fit for the 
Sean Payton sweepstakes to end, but I don't know. Martin says, Dallas don't just win tonight, but they win it all. We dim boys. I actually like Dallas's chances tonight. We would love to hear from you. Keep those comments coming on our poll question of the day. Leave your thoughts on Facebook and Twitter or give us a holler on the hotline. 337-706-0111. That's 337-706-0111. We'll talk more about Walcar Weekend as we wrap up our number one here on RP3 and Company. That's next right here on The Game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers and the World Series champion, Houston Astros. What a ridiculous wildcard weekend it was. Close games, fumble returns for touchdowns, 27-point leads evaporating in front of your eyes. Third-string quarterbacks out there playing well. What is going on in the NFL? What a weekend it was. And it'll get wrapped up tonight, of course, Dallas at Tampa. Pre-game begins at 7 o'clock, kickoff 7.15. You can listen to it live right here on the game. You're home for the NFL. Some sad news to get to over the weekend. And Georgia player Devin Willock, a tackle for the two-time national championship football team, and a staffer, a recruiter, were killed in a car accident over the weekend. Less than a week ago, they were on the field having win a national championship. So... Devastating news for the Georgia football family. Just hours. This happened just hours after the University of Georgia celebrated a second straight national championship with a parade and ceremony on Saturday. Georgia offensive lineman Devin Willock and football staff member Chandler LaCroix died in a car accident early on Sunday. Two other members of the football program were also injured and are in stable condition. Willock was 20. He died at the scene as a result of the injuries. The driver, LaCroix, she was transported by EMS to a local hospital where she died as a result of her injuries. The news breaks that they had passed while people were still posting photos of the parade celebration of them. It's tough. Our hearts go out and our thoughts and prayers go out to the Georgia football family as they lost two of their own over the weekend. And in another disturbing news item, Alabama reserve forward Darius Miles, the men's basketball team that's ranked top five in the country, was charged with capital murder after a shooting on Sunday. Darius Miles, backup reserve, forward for the Alabama Crimson Tide has been charged with capital murder after a shooting early Sunday morning. Miles and another man have been charged with capital murder in connection with an early morning shooting near campus that killed a 23-year-old woman. Miles was booked into Tuscaloosa County Jail around 6.45 p.m. on Sunday. In a statement Sunday, the university said Miles, a junior reserve forward from D.C., is no longer on the team. 
Tuscaloosa Police Captain Jack Kennedy said the shooting occurred early Sunday morning in the strip area of University Boulevard near campus. He said Jamie Harris of the Birmingham area was shot and killed. So some devastating news across the board there in the sports world this weekend that we had to make sure to get to and share with you. That's going to do it for hour number one. Hour number two, we're going to get back to wild card weekend. We're also going to tackle college basketball action over the weekend. LSU men and women, UL men and women, and McNeese men and women. We're going to get to all of that coming up next hour. Right here on The Game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers and the World Series champion, Houston Astros. Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is the producer extraordinaire, Hannah Five Names, and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. Wacky wild card weekend. It's nearly in the books. Obviously, it's the holiday weekend. Many of you are off today for Martin Luther King Day. And the final wild card game of the weekend will be tonight, Monday Night Football. Dallas Cowboys at the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. We'll have the game for you live right here on the game. Pre-game begins at 7 o'clock, kickoff 715 But the rest of the weekend, with the exception of one game that was lopsided, the rest of them had plenty of drama, had plenty of intrigue, had plenty of bad coaching, (laughs) and all single possession games. All single possession games. The, The one that was out of hand was the very first one. Seahawks 49ers. San Francisco easily took care of Seattle. Ran the football, played great defense. Brock Purdy out there throwing for over 300 yards and three touchdowns. No picks. Like They took care of business. They're like, hey, we're Super Bowl contender. No one else got the memo the rest of the weekend. Everyone else was on the struggle bus. That's a term that Miss Hannah Five Names loves using, struggle bus. She usually uses it to, des- to describe me in the mornings. You're on the struggle bus today, bud. Yes. Yes, I am. But nothing like the teams that played on wildcard weekend. Right after Niners Seahawks was done, Jacksonville, Los Angeles. Chargers at Jags. Chargers up 27 nothing. They look like they're on their way. It looks like we're going to have back to back routes to start off wildcard weekend. And it looks like my pick that we shared on social media, was completely pop ball. No good. Trevor Lawrence, four picks in the first half. They were already putting together the memes on Twitter about Trevor Lawrence, a.k.a. Sunshine, from Remember the Titans. And yet, the young man kept his cool, 
They got the job done. Come back and win. And the Chargers blow a 27-point lead. 27-point lead. And Brandon Staley, whose seat is going to be very hot. Some people thought if they got embarrassed on the road that he may lose his job. It looks like a a job tailor-made for Sean Payton. Was asked, Coach, what happened in the second half of this ballgame? We just didn't play clean enough football in the second half in in all three phases. Um, You know, we didn't score the ball or possess it well enough on defense. Uh, We had far too many penalties in the second half that really hurt us and didn't play well enough in the red area. Um, Didn't perform well there in two minutes at the end of the game and, um, you know, just didn't play a good second half of football as a team. It was like I was listening to Dennis Allen. (laughs) The same cadence, the same type of explanations. It was like, what? Oh, oh, bud, you didn't play well in the second half? No, you don't mean that. You blew, you choked away a 27-point lead. The other quarterback had four first-half interceptions, and you were up by 27, and you lost the game. You lost the game. Staley did elaborate a little bit further and admitted that it was the absolute toughest way to lose. I mean, anytime you, you're up 27 to 7 at halftime and you've got four takeaways and you end up winning the takeaway margin 4 nothing, you know, it's going to be a killer. Uh, I'm hurting for everybody in that locker room. It's a special group of guys, and, you know, this is the toughest way that you can lose. You know, in the playoffs, um, and uh, certainly with the way we started the game, that's that's the team that um, I know that we're capable of being. And in the second half, um, we just didn't finish the game. And you know, we're going to learn a lot from this. And you know, um, unfortunately, this is the tough side of things. Our season's over, but um, I love everybody in that locker room. And um, this was a step for us, and um, we're going to grow a lot from it. We'll see if Brandon Staley's going to be there to see the growth. Oh, man. Yeah, yeah, We talked about if they were embarrassed, right? If they went to Jacksonville and got roughed up, then you'd be like, hey, look, you didn't get your team prepared. You didn't get your team up for this game. That's one thing. But to blow a 27-point lead, whew, that's tough, man. That, that, the, the, those are the type of things – A lot of coaches will tell you it's easier to get over and to learn from a blowout because you can always go, we clearly weren't on the same level as our opponent. They were clearly a better team. They just trucked us and we move on and we try to get better. When you have a team on the ropes and you don't get the job done, that's the one that's going to hurt. That's the one that's going to linger. It, those Charger fans and those, and those players are not going to forget about the fact that they choked away a 27-point lead in the playoffs. They're just not. Doug Peterson, the Jaguars were the joke of the NFL a year ago. You bring in a new coach, a guy that's won a Super Bowl title. What does Doug Peterson do? He fixes Trevor Lawrence. He fixes the Jaguars. 
They are in the playoffs. They win a division title, and they win a playoff game in year number one. By the way, interesting side note, Doug Peterson was only granted a Zoom call by the Saints. Just just like to point that out. Never brought in for an in-person interview. That got circulated again yesterday on social media, by the way. <laughs> Doug Peterson said, what does this win say about this team? I mean, it's everything. You know, it's it's just what I told him at halftime. You know, it's kind of like our season, you know, and, and um, you know, we've put ourselves in a hole at times and then we've, we've worked ourselves out of it at times. And and uh, just to have uh, the resiliency and the and the fight and the desire and the um, the ability to continue to play, you know, because it could have easily gone the other way, right? Um, and and that's what I'm so proud of these guys for. Um, everything's on the line, and, uh, you know, they go out and get the job done. And the guy that we nicknamed Sunshine, who, by the way, has never lost a game on a Saturday, Trevor Lawrence, in high school, college, and now the pros, he's never lost a Saturday game, which is a weird little stat. Man can't be beat on Saturday. Doug Peterson was asked about his quarterback who throws the four first-half interceptions yet finds a way to lead this team to come from behind victory. You know, I'll just keep saying it. It's a step in the right direction for him and for our team, for our franchise. And, you know, we love having, having Trevor as our quarterback. And, and he never, I mean, he never flinches. He, it just, I mean, you, you saw the emotion on the, uh, on the sneak, you know, on the goal line. Um, you know, I think it was, the, was that the two-point conversion? You know, that you saw the emotion, right? And uh, and that's who he is. And um, I, I just uh, I love the fact that he's he's leading our football team. But it's a step in the right. It's a step in the direction that we want this organization to go. We want him to go. Our team to go. And um, you know, uh, we just got to continue to build on that. Jacksonville. Not only gets into the playoffs, they win a playoff game. Shout out to the Jaguars. What a turnaround Doug Peterson's done there. See what happens when you have a really good coach? <laughs> That's what happens. You have really good coaches. Coaching matters in the NFL. We try to say it's all about the stars and coaching doesn't matter. Boy, Saints fans, as you found out, coaching, good coaching, really does matter. Let's head out to the hotline. Welcome on somebody that matters. Mr. Green joins us. I'm sure he's going to give us an illustrious, well-thought-out preview of tonight's Monday night football game involving his Bucks. Good morning, sir. Good morning, Mr. Third. How are you this morning? I'm great, but I'm talking to you. How could it not be any better? <laughs> That's how I feel. There it's we a go. great day. I get, to, I get to talk to you guys. And uh, to put things into perspective, on Saturday I went to go watch my nephew play soccer up in uh, Alexandria. I was in thermal underwear and triple layer. It was cold as heck in the day. I'm in shorts. <laughs> Got to love that, bud. Wearing a coat over the weekend. I was in the Alexandria area over the weekend as well, actually in Woodworth for a couple days, and it was uh, jacket weather. And now today it's 75 degrees. <laughs> <laughs> Got to love South Louisiana. Um and Wild Card Weekend has, has lived up to its name. It's been wild, man. I, I finally got to watch Brock Purdy play, and uh, dude's got talent. But, man, he throws some balls that you're going, no, 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 no. <laughs> yeah, a little bit. A little bit. He does. Ooh. He does. And what about the, 
what about the Giants coach making Daniel Jones actually look decent? Once again, we, we talk about it all the time when it comes to quarterback development. You know, these teams, they fight over each other. They trade away all these assets to trade up to get a quarterback. It, quarterbacks are always drafted far higher than they should be every single season. And the problem is, is that those teams that are drafting that high are drafting that high for a reason because they're not very good. And typically, if you're not very good, you don't have the people in place to develop the quarterback. So that's what you see over and over again. But in those cases, let's say Jacksonville and San Francisco, both of them have offensive-minded coaches that know how to develop quarterbacks and know how to adjust their scheme to fit the talents of the young men that they have under center. And that's yeah. always the key. Peterson tweaked his offense to fit Trevor Lawrence. Okay, Shanahan's twe- tweaking his offense to, to fit the multiple guys that he's had play quarterback this year, including Brock Purdy. The best ones do that, Jamie. They just do. And that's why coaching matters in the NFL. Man, I, I tell you, Shanahan, the fact that he's had to go through three quarterbacks this season, that's unreal. Like, I mean, the Saints had to do it last year. I, I realize that. But Saints didn't have quite as much success. But they did what they could with what they had. Correct. Um, so tonight, I really think, man, the, my Bucks they look terrible. They really do. But I think they're going to get the win against uh, against the Cowboys. You know, they their defense is still pretty salty. Uh, Dak has has looked mortal uh, this year, as he usually does. So I'm thinking that the Bucks are gonna are gonna win tonight. I think it'll be a close game. It won't be a barn burner. It'll probably be like 17-14, something like that. Oh, nothing. And then they'll get knocked no, out next week. Nothing like a good old fashioned ugly primetime game. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure Mr. Foot would have nothing to say about that, right? Oh no, no. I, I <laughs> and, and and I'm torn because I'm tired of Tom Brady. I, I just I just want him to go away. I'm just I'm tired because it'd be one thing if he just yeah. Look, I, the, the goat conversation is, is tiresome, right? It, it's exhausting to hear it all the time. Yeah. It, it, that's one thing, but there's there's dysfunction around him now. In the last year or so, there's dysfunction around the Bucks, but more importantly, dysfunction around Tom. And I'm just tired. I'm just exhausted by it all. And hey, don't get me wrong, I'd love nothing more to, to see the Dallas Cowboys lose because that makes me happy. As a Washington fan, I love nothing more to see Dallas pain for the Dallas Cowboys. That said, Oh man, there's there's not a real winner. Sorry, Jamie. I know I know Tampa's your team, but there's not a real winner for the rest of us in this game. If if it could end in a tie and both be eliminated from the postseason, I think everyone would sign up for that. But unfortunately, <laughs> that's not the case. No, I'm with you. I've said before, I'm not a Brady fan. I'm a Bucks fan, and there you go, as uh, you should be. You know, I've, I've been I've been cautiously cautiously optimistic with Tom, and he's he's done some good things, but. I'm with you. I'm. I, I just. I'm tired of Brady myself. But hey, if he keeps my Bucks winning, I guess I'll just put up with him until you know he decides to retire or go to Miami or whatever the heck he's gonna do. There it is. Appreciate the phone call, brother. Enjoy <laughs> your day, bud. Y'all have a great day. That leads us to our poll question of the day: Who will win tonight's wild card game? It's the final one of the weekend. Dallas at Tampa. Once again, pregame begins at 7, kickoff 7.15. You can listen to the game live right here on the game. You're home for the NFL. Will it be the Dallas Cowboys that will win? 
or it will be the Tampa Bay Bucks. Right now, 52% of you say Tampa Bay, 48% say Dallas. Keep those votes coming on our poll question of the day. Keep leaving those comments on Facebook and Twitter, and we'll continue to share them throughout today's show. More RP3 and company coming up right here on The Game. Southwest Louisiana Sports Station in your home for the LSU Tigers and the World Series champion, Houston Astros. Um, eight, third, and ten call, whatever it was, you think you have a chance. And, and unfortunately, we just, you know, didn't uh, it didn't end up coming down with that one for whatever reason. And, and on that fourth down, just trying to get some eligibles vertical and, and uh, ball ended up, you know, going underneath. And, and we didn't, like we had, you know, like we had done multiple times, TJ underneath the coverage for catch conversions. Uh, they just were able to make a play, uh, but the intent was to try to continue winning the football, having a chance to win the football game with pushing the ball downfield, and just didn't open up for Kirk, and, and that's on me. That's Kevin O'Connell, first-year head coach of the Minnesota Vikings, putting the blame on the fourth and eight call on himself, which I, I like to hear from the head coach there. He, he's not going to throw his uh, quarterback under the bus. But his quarterback's the one that made the throw. And you looked at the play, they had all their other wide receivers getting open past the eight yards. Jefferson, Thielen, the whole nine yards. It was designed for the tight end to kind of pull a guy out to free up space with the other wide receivers. That's why he went in the direction he did. That's why he didn't get past the first first down marker. He was trying to suck one of the defensive guys in to free up space. And Kirk Cousins threw it to him. And I get it. He threw to Hawkinson a lot during the game. He had over 100 yards receiving. The big tight end did. But it's a bad play. And as I texted one of my friends yesterday, this this is what you get with Kirk. This is what you get with Kirk Cousins. You're going to get a guy that's going to put up big, big, big stats, big numbers. It's going to win you a lot of fantasy football league championships. And he's going to show some flashes. But then he's going to have some plays where you go, my man, it's fourth and eight. Game is on the line and you throw a two and a half yard pass. He's done this before. This is who he is. This is who he is. He's a good to very good quarterback. But he has these moments where you go, what you doing? What you doing? Justin Jefferson in Minnesota's loss to the New York Giants, the former LSU Tiger, was bottled up. He had a bunch of catches, but they gave him nothing after. No yak for the former Tiger star. And O'Connell talked about how Jefferson was being covered in this ballgame and how the offense performed overall for the Vikings in Sunday's loss. Yeah, they didn't bring as much pressure tonight. It was more so uh, a story of coverage, double teams. I think, uh, you know, when you look at, you know, his stats, I don't think it's a coincidence. TJ, you know, having a big day. Adam Thielen with three big catches for 50 yards. KJ had some opportunities in addition to the two for 20. Um, you know, ended up with about 50, I think 56, 58 snaps. So you would have loved to have the ball a little bit more to, to be able to run it and marry the run in the pass. And, um, you know, just you know, when we didn't have that success, we, we opened the game with a really nice drive um, and then, you know, end up being stopped a couple times there 
And despite finishing the half with a touchdown drive, you, you just look at the volume of snaps that you end up getting as an offense. Um, and, and, and really, that's where I could help us, you know, try to be better in those short yardage situations, try to be better across the board so, you know, we can go ahead and maximize our opportunities when they could be a little bit more limited because of their ability to control uh, the football. Minnesota loses 31-24 to the Giants who move on there in the wild card round. And the better quarterback in this game was Daniel Jones. Not only did he have 301 yards passing, two touchdowns, no picks, he also led the Giants. Not Saquon Barkley. No, no. Saquon had 53 yards on the ground, two touchdowns, but he only carried the ball nine times. Daniel Jones not only led the Giants in rushing yards with 78, he also led them in carries with 17. And first-year head football coach of the New York Giants, Brian Delbow, was asked, was running Jones a part of the game plan initially? No, I'd say the game plan that we put together um, on offense kind of was a game plan for the game. You know, we, what we did is what we wanted to do. I mean, there's always adjustments, but I thought Kafka <clears throat> and all the assistant coaches had those guys ready to play and um, thought he called a really good game. And what was the plan? Because they did an excellent job of taking out J uh, Justin Jefferson. Forcing, taking away Kirk Cousins' favorite player, favorite target. He had a bunch of catches, but they didn't let anything go behind him. They were bracketing the coverage. They were taking him out of the game plan. And look, when they did that, Minnesota couldn't really do anything else. And Brian was asked, you know, what was the plan on how to at least stop or slow down Justin Jefferson? I play good team defense. That's what that's what's required when you play a really good player. Um, don't wink and the staff did a good job and you know they hit some plays they're going to hit some plays they got some good players but you know one of the keys was not to let 18 beat us um, and I thought the plan and then <clears throat> most importantly the execution by the players that's what's most important and look credit the Giants they played great against Jefferson I thought Minnesota would going to win this game because they had the best player on the field and that is Justin Jefferson but credit the Giants for scheming against him. And Minnesota was, wasn't able to adapt. It's all about adjustments. Once Jefferson can't get open, once there's no yak for him, so to speak, how do you adjust? What do you do? And they didn't make the right adjustments. And the New York Giants took advantage of it, and they're moving on to Minnesota. They're staying at home. They're staying at home. And look, they don't have to go very far because they played that game at home. So there you go. That's a silver lining for them, right? No? Not so much? Okay. Bills, Dolphins. Look, I don't think anyone expected Miami to win that ball game. Not even Dolphin fans. Third string quarterback, left tackles, banged up, still playing. Teron Armstead did. They're on the road against a division rival. <clears throat> a Super Bowl contender. But credit Dolphins for playing with a lot of heart and trying their best because they put a scare in Buffalo. Now, will that help Buffalo kind of reset and get their act together? Because they looked sloppy. They looked bad. Josh Allen, people love him. I get it. He's a great quarterback. He's an MVP candidate. 
But that guy is the second coming of Brett Favre. He is a turnover machine. He leads the NFL in interceptions and total turnovers this season. That's not a stat you necessarily want to be associated with. And Sean McDermott, the man in charge of the Buffalo Bills, talked about how his team did not play complimentary football on Sunday. I just think overall we got to do a better job of, of at that point, um, you know, up 17, I think it was 17 zip, and we turned the ball over. So um, at the end of the day, you turn the ball over, you die normally a, a pretty quick death. And when you turn the ball over, three, I think we had three, three turnovers, one for a score, and, uh, and then we had the big punt return in there mixed in there as well. So um, not very good complimentary football. Not very good complimentary football. And if they want to win a title, which is the goal, preseason Super Bowl contenders, if they want to be able to beat Kansas City, if they want to be able to, to move on, they have to get their act together. They played with emotion. I get that. They're playing for their teammate. They looked better. They looked really good in the regular season finale. I understand all of that. I, I truly do. I really, really do. And they got away with it because they took on a third-string quarterback-led team that was bruised and battered. And they got away with it because of that. There's no way Buffalo is going to be able to play the way they did yesterday moving forward. If they do that, they lose. They do that, they lose. It's that simple. Even though tonight's game, we're still waiting the outcome. We do know that the San Francisco 49ers will host either the Bucks or the Cowboys in the divisional round. That is going to be taken care of, and that'll be on Sunday night. But we do have the divisional round set up. In the NFC, Giants will take on the Philadelphia Eagles in the divisional round. That's a 6-1 matchup. That'll be Saturday night. Then on Sunday night, it will be either the Bucks or Cowboys at the San Francisco 49ers. In the AFC divisional round, Jacksonville Jaguars at the Kansas City Chiefs. That'll be on Saturday. That'll be your 3-30 game. And then the other game will be Bengals at Bills. We didn't get the game played at Cincinnati a couple weeks ago because of the horrific thing that happened on the field. Now you're going to get it. And both the Bengals and the Bills will play Sunday. That's the early game. And both of these teams are coming off wins against division rivals with backup quarterbacks, and they struggled in both of those games. So who's not going to play sloppy football? Because if either one of these teams plays the way they did on Sunday, a week, in a week's time, this coming Sunday, whoever does that is going to lose. We got to take a timeout. When we come back, Jeff Palermo the co-host of Tiger Rag Radio will join us to talk all things LSU. Women remain undefeated on the day they unveil the Simone Augustus statue. They take care of Auburn easily. The men, meanwhile, well, they're on the struggle bus. We'll talk about it with Jeff Palermo next right here on The Game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers and the World Series champion Houston Astros. The LSU basketball teams are headed in different directions, performing at different levels. The women's team yesterday takes care of Auburn fairly easily on a day where they unveiled the Simone Augusta statue outside the PMAC. 
They remain undefeated, remain one of the best teams in the country, and they sure do look like a Final Four team to me. The men's team has to go travel to Alabama on Saturday. Crimson Tide are ranked in the top five, one of the best teams in the country, maybe the best team in the SEC this year, and they get absolutely shellacked. Can Matt McMahon find a way to get his team back on track this week? They got Auburn this week at home and Tennessee at home this weekend as well. To talk about all things Tigers is our friend from Tiger Rag Radio. Jeff Palermo joins us now. Jeff, good morning to you, brother. How are you? Oh, we're doing well. How you doing today, Raymond? I'm doing good, bud. I'm doing good. So let's start with the women's basketball team. Undefeated. Did you anticipate this team being undefeated before the start of the season at this point? I don't think anybody would expect them to go 18-0. and um, But not only are they going 18-0, and but they're, just, they're blowing everyone out of the water. I mean, none of these games have been really competitive. I, I, I really – I'd have to look back at the schedule. I kind of remember the Southeastern game was a little tight. Right, you know, Tulane. Tulane was a little tight a little for a little yeah, bit. But, yeah, that's it. Yeah, Tulane. Yeah. That, that, that's about it. Uh, the one really good team they played in the Southeastern Conference this season was Arkansas. That was the SEC opener in December – and they won that one rather easily. And Arkansas is a pretty good team, and they'll be in the PMAC on Thursday night. So they really have not been challenged at all. Uh, they'll, they'll get some tough challenges. Still got South Carolina and Tennessee's on, on the schedule. Miss is undefeated in league play. So uh, they obviously have a pretty good team. But uh, not only the fact that they're undefeated, but they are just – they're wiping the floor with everybody they play, Raymond. It's 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 pretty impressive. Uh, they're just uh, absolutely dominating at this moment. Eighteen and zero, six and zero in conference play, and and look, we talked a lot about their non-conference schedule. Wasn't anything to write home about, and and Kim Mulkey made that decision to craft it that way because she didn't know what she had because of the transfers coming in and the new players that she had right so but what's happened is that this team has learned how to play together during that non-conference schedule and when conference play turned around they're just rolling just as well as they did during the non-conference slate I mean it's paid off in a big way for Kim well you had a dominating player come into the program at Angel Reese I mean we knew uh, she was a really good player. I don't. Again, I don't think you're anticipating 18 straight double doubles from her, but she's a player of the year candidate. So you got that going for you. You have a veteran player in Alexis Morris who's uh, playing a little bit of a different position this year, and uh, she has been outstanding as well. Um, Flaugé Johnson, you, you bring her in. And as a freshman, there was a lot of hype about her. She's lived up to all the hype. She's been outstanding. And then you've you got some really good role players on this team as well. I think that's probably something that gets overlooked is just the the um, the Ladesia Williams. She's the transfer from uh, Missouri. She has fit in really, really well with this team. Uh, the last tier pool. Uh, uh, let's see who else on there. Jasmine Carson has been finally, you know, for so many years, really throughout the entire <laughs> uh, Nikki Fargus uh, 
era, they've they've struggled to find someone that can knock down a three pointer, and Carson can do that, and Kateri Poole is another really good role player. So, and then you're, you're talking about a Hall of Fame coach, so um, you have that, and you put it all together, and uh, this team has just been uh, just been outstanding. And they still have, as you mentioned, some tests, right? They'll play Arkansas again this Thursday at 8 o'clock at the PMAC. And then the whiteout game versus Tennessee on Monday, the 30th. But then it's South Carolina at South Carolina. That's going to be a salty game (laughs) on February the 12th, right? So they'll have a couple more tests. But what do you think the expectation is right now for this team you recalibrate it is it final four for this team I know we got to wait on the bracket and got to see about matchups I understand all that but this sure does feel like and looks like a team that's playing like a final four team to me no they seem like final four bound I mean I think if right now here we stand on January 16th and if they don't get into the final four it would be it would be disappointing you know, very similar to even last year that that team um, didn't make it to the Sweet 16 as well as they played during the course of the regular season. They ended up getting a bad matchup in the second round, and they ended up losing. Uh, but that team, that team had some faults. Uh, there were they didn't have the type of dominating post play that this LSU team has, and so this year's team has. The dominating post play with Angel Reese and Ladeja Williams, and then just some outstanding perimeter players. And so they they really, at the moment, they have it all. And then again, uh, tying it all together is a a Hall of Fame coach with an outstanding coaching staff. And so that that's a big part of it as well. We're talking with Jeff Palermo of the Louisiana Radio Network. He's also co-host of Tiger Rag Radio which you can listen to every Tuesday night right here on the game. Let's switch over to the men. Great start to the season as well. Matt McMahon took the same approach. Hey, trying to find my guys, trying to figure out what I got here. A lot of group of five transfers coming in. He's got a mid-major roster. They were able to build up some confidence. They start off conference play with a great win against Arkansas, 60-57 to there at the PMAC. They were ranked number nine at the time. And they get that win, you're like, okay, this team may have a chance to be an NCAA tournament team, but that night, everything went wrong for Arkansas. Everything went right for LSU, and nothing's really gone right since. They lose on the road to uh, an average or less than average Kentucky team. Then they lose, get out by Texas A&M on the road. They lose at home to a rebuilding bad Florida team, and then it's kind of what happens what we expected to happen on Saturday, they, they lose by 40. I didn't think it was going to be by 40, but they get absolutely trucked by Alabama on Saturday. Can Matt McMahon, with the roster the way it is, Jeff, can he kind of turn a corner, turn things around here in conference play? Well, I think the key uh, phrase that you said there, he recruited a mid-major roster. He's got a mid-major roster. And he does not have uh, – he did not bring in a player like Angel Reese who was, no. a, was an All-American last season. He doesn't, he doesn't have that on, on this team. It's, it's, it, is what, it is what it is. You know, I think – I said it after they beat Arkansas. I thought they 
they caught Arkansas at a good time. You know, the first true the SEC opener, first true road game for Arkansas. It's in the middle of the holidays. You know, it, the game was played during that week of Christmas and New Year's. You just kind of – and Eric Musselman's teams kind of start off slow in SEC play. Remember, I think last year they started off like 0-3, 0-3, 0-4, something like that before they made the run. So they really caught Arkansas at a good time. Uh, but now – you know, when when you start playing the big boys, especially like Alabama, you just don't belong on the same floor as them. I, I don't know. I, I don't know really what he can do with this roster. I, I mean, it's it's it, you got a little bit of as you mentioned, you got a little bit of hope because they they went through the non conference portion and you said okay, they 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 kind of survived that and. Uh, they played well at times, and you know they beat, went out and they beat a team like Wake Forest in Atlanta and stuff like that. But they're just severely limited, and um, the the margin of error for a team like them it's it's very slim. And we knew as well that this first half of the SEC schedule was just it, it was br- it's brutal. Uh, it, they were going to have they were going to struggle. Um, that's why losing games like they did to Texas and Florida, that really hurts because those are teams that you could have beat. And in both cases, you really, I mean, you, you failed to score 60 points in those games. So uh, they're just a limited group. And I don't know how much it gets better. And I, I, I understand it's basketball recruiting, but if you look at, 24-7 sports right now, LSU has the ninth best recruiting class in the SEC. The ninth. So, and I'm not, and I don't follow it as much as, I don't follow basketball, I mean, I don't follow basketball recruiting that much, but I even still remember with Will Wade that you'd always, and even with Johnny Jones in certain occasions, um, you would hear about these, you know, big-time prospects that they were they were working on. They were they were in the, the they were uh, discussing, and, and that's what you need, right? In basketball, you need like transformational players in, in order to really make a, a serious run. You need big time recruits, and and I'm not even even hearing like that kind of buzz with any like anything. So I don't know. I I, I mean, it's yeah, it, it, it looks bleak right now. Um, I'm not saying that Matt McMahon's not the the, the right guy, uh, but these four losses have been tough, and they'll probably at least lose the next three games, I would imagine, as well, starting Wednesday with a ranked Auburn team, Tennessee, and then they get Arkansas again. So you don't see them being able to, to beat Auburn or Tennessee this week? No. <laughs> I don't. I don't. They're just they're overmatched. They're over. They are a mid-major team. All I mean, and, and the guys that they got as far as SEC or, or Power Five guys, these those guys were backups. Uh, they, I mean, it's just he, he's. And I understand what he had to do. He had to do. I, I mean, it, it wasn't like. I mean, you lost your entire roster basically when when. Will Wade was fired, so he just had to kind of put it together, and uh, and they may jump up and surprise a couple teams, and and win. You know, somebody's going to 
take them for granted, and they'll, they'll probably win. They might win a few more games or a couple more games where they, you don't expect them to win, kind of like that Arkansas game. But, uh, you know, this is a team that's, that's – um, they're going to finish near the bottom of the SEC, I think. I mean, the, the again, losing to Florida and Texas A&M really hurt because you. I mean, I think you could you could take a, a forty point beating to Alabama and say, okay, well, you know, it just wasn't our day, and Alabama's really good. And once the Crimson Tide gets rolling in the inside the Coleman Coliseum, they're tough to beat. But you, when you lose to A&M in Florida, and you don't even score sixty points in those games. That's that's not a good sign. Not a good sign. Not all. a not a good sign. Jeff, appreciate your time, brother. Enjoy Tiger Rag Radio this week, my friend, and we'll talk to you next Monday, bud. All right, sounds good, Raymond. Thanks. Yeah, I, it, the, the schedule's absolutely brutal. I mean, it's Auburn, Tennessee. They still got Texas Tech as that SEC Big 12 challenge. They still have to play Alabama again. They still have to play A&M again. They still have to play Missouri. To, like, now, they're going to get some relief towards the end. Once we get to Valentine's Day, they'll start playing the likes of Georgia and Vandy, South Carolina. They'll have some winnable games. They'll get Florida again. But, man, are they going to be able to get through the gauntlet? And look, Alabama may be the best team in the SEC. They may be a Final Four team. But I don't think anyone expected them to get trucked by 40. Just didn't. We got to take a timeout. When we return, we'll update the poll question of the day. Close out hour number two. That's next right here on The Game. Southwest Louisiana Sports Station and your home for the LSU Tigers and the World Series champion Houston Astros. Shout out to B-Rad who uh, shared the thing I saw on Twitter yesterday. He shared it with me, tagged me in it. The Chargers' new logo. I don't know if you've seen this. It's essentially the Atlanta Falcons logo, but in Chargers colors with the lightning bolt as one of the wings. Because, you know, 28 to 3. <laughs> it never dies. 28 to 3 just never dies. So, shout out to B-Rad for that. That was quite good. That was quite good and quite and just so, so, so accurate. Poll question of the day. We asked you who will win tonight's wild card game between the Dallas Cowboys and the Tampa Bay Bucks. Once again, you can listen to the game live right here on the game. Pre-game begins at 7, kickoff 7-15. Right now, 55% of you believe the Cowboys will go into Raymond James Stadium in lovely Tampa, the big pirate ship, and pull out the win. 45% of you say the Tampa Bay Bucks are going to win. Robert on Twitter says, I think Tampa wins it. I can't believe I'm saying that because I can't stand Brady, but I hate Dallas more. <laughs> I hate Dallas more. It pains me to say that I, I believe Dallas will win. So I understand your pain, Robert, but I think, I think Dallas is going to win. Doug says, only thing going for Tampa is that their defense and an old goat. Dallas takes this but won't make it past the San Fran. Hashtag go Bengals. Keep those votes coming on our poll question of the day. Keep those comments coming. Leave them on Facebook and Twitter. Just make sure you keep it clean for the kids. Coming up next hour, John Sheeran from Cincy Jungle will join us. Is he concerned at all about the way the Bengals played against the backups of the Baltimore Ravens yesterday as they head to Buffalo for the divisional round? That'll be coming up in about a half hour. 
But starting off our number three here on RP3 and Company, Jay Walker, longtime voice of the Louisiana Raging Cajuns, will join us to talk all things Vermilion and White. That's going to be next right here on the game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers and the World Series champion, Houston Astros. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Everything, everything, everything going to be all right this morning. Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is the producer extraordinaire, Hannah Five Names, and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parks III, better known as RP3. The baldness and the beautifulness is about to be taken up a notch here as we kick off hour number three. Because the man who's the longtime voice of the Louisiana Raging Cajuns joins us to kick off hour number three, Jay Walker. Jay, good morning, brother. How was your weekend, my friend? Um, it was uh, it was good. You know, we got back uh, at about eleven o'clock Saturday night from uh, Mobile, and then uh, you know, yesterday watched a little football. There you go, bud. There you go. All right, let's get to last week. Because they began a four-game road trip, had to go to ULM first up in lovely fun row at Faint Ewing Coliseum on Thursday night. They, they race out to a huge lead, and they pretty much maintained that. ULM came back. They got chippy. They, they kind of tried to cut it down, but every time they did, the Cajuns were able to kind of pull back away multiple times. Give me your big takeaways of that 86-73 win at ULM. I, you know, I have said this for years. If you go on the road and you get off to a great start, you really give yourself a chance. And, um, you know, they jumped out to a 21-4 lead. I think the lead was as big as 22 at uh, some point in time. And you knew ULM was going to make a run. I mean, they, they, they're a pretty good basketball team. And um, they did make a run. They got it to within seven at the under four timeout. But the Cajuns got a stop in the basket, made it at nine. Then they uh, then they got a steal from Joe Charles with a dunk, and that made it 11. And then they got a stop with a basket, made it 13. And now there's two minutes left, and the game's over. They find a way. They, they, they just do. And the depth on this team plays a huge role in that. And I'm glad you brought up Joe Charles, the former Karen Crow high star, he is seemingly taking his game to a different level here in year number two. What's the big difference between what you saw from Joe last year as a true freshman compared to this year, Jay? I think he's a little bit physically stronger uh, than he was, and I think he's grown up a little bit. You know, uh, he's um, he's just a second-year player, uh, and last year he he had his moments. I think he's playing with more confidence but I'll tell you the thing about Joe Charles that Bob Marlin loves and that I love too is he's really good on the defensive end, um, and he makes a lot of things happen. Man, he deflects balls. He, you know, he he gets good position. He can block some shots. You know, uh, anything you get out of him offensively is kind of lanyap, although he's very capable there too. But the thing that I think makes Joe Charles a, a, a guy that you you got to have is the fact that that gives you a really good defensive presence on the inside. You know, and the other thing that has kind of stood out to me watching this team play this season, Jay, is 
the the development of the other guys as well entering their second year all playing together. We mentioned Joe, he's only a sophomore. Jordan Brown, he's obviously the preseason player of the year, but it's other guys like Greg Williams and and these other guys that were on the roster last year that maybe had up and down campaigns, weren't their best. I don't know if it's just a year together or the chemistry that's being built with this team, but it seems like everyone has kind of raised their game a little bit and everyone's put in the work to be a better player. And you're starting to see it, especially here in conference play. Well, you know, I think that um, I think this is a team that does have great chemistry. Uh, and as a result, they all work their tails off. They, uh, they share and enjoy each other's success. You know, we were on the, uh, we were on the bus um, going from uh, Monroe to Mobile. And one of the players in the back stands up and he says, you know, salute to Greg Williams for, for being the number six on SportsCenter this week. And the entire bus has a round of applause. And then uh, somebody else stands up and says, congratulations, Joe Charles had a career-high 15 points last night. And everybody on the bus cheers. This is a tight-knit group, maybe the tightest-knit group for basketball that I've ever been around. And I think that kind of chemistry is good for three, four, five points every night. I would agree with that. That that does matter. It just does, especially in the collegiate ranks. We're talking with Jay Walker, longtime voice of the Raging Cajuns. He joins us here on RP3 and Company. We knew that they were going to have their hands full a little bit being on the road because it's always tough to win on the road, especially in conference play. In South Alabama, even though they may, may be towards the bottom of the Sunbelt Conference, Jay, they have some talented players, and that showed in Saturday night's game as the Cajuns were able to hold on and get a hard-fought 79-76 win over the Jags there in Mobile. Give me your takeaways from that game. Well, first of all, I mean, South Alabama shot the ball really well. You know, statistically, they weren't nearly as good as what they did on Saturday. They made nine three-pointers, uh, and that kept them in the game. Now, they didn't have their big seven-footer, Kevin Samuel, and so they had to go ahead and change the game plan, and they did what most teams do. They double and triple Jordan Brown, um, and the Cajuns, uh, you know, went through a, a little bit of a thing where, uh, gosh, I think South Alabama hit like three threes in a row. They were down 10, uh, cut it to seven at halftime, and then caught up, and then it was, it was back and forth um, the rest of the way. You know, the Cajuns did a good job of the boards. They cut down on their turnovers in the second half. Uh, and uh, and got some defensive stops. And because of that, they're able to get out of there uh, with a win. But uh, I'll tell you something. If you were listening to the postgame show, we talked about it. But for those folks that did not, Cajuns are up 78-76. And Terrence uh, Lewis is, is going to the line for two shots, 93% guy, and he misses them both. And uh, Greg Williams gets the rebound, and he's fouled. Well, he makes the first. And then he misses the second. So South Alabama's coming down. They're down three. And their guy goes inside the three-point line to take the shot. Now, the shot was after the buzzer, so it wouldn't have counted anyway. The scoreboard operator never put the 79th point up on the board. If this kid looks up and he looks at the score, it's a two-point game. Oh. That's brutal. (laughs) Yes. 
That's absolute. That's absolutely brutal. Now, Jay, they get the win at South Al, but their road trip is only halfway done. They have trips this week at Arkansas State, have to go up to Jonesboro on Thursday night, 7 o'clock tip, and then travel over to San Marcos to take on Texas State Saturday at 4 o'clock. Now, Arkansas State right now is at the bottom of the standings 1-5 and five in conference play, but as we've already talked about, road games in conference, always difficult. What are you seeing about the Red Wolves and what kind of challenges they could present Bob Marlin's team Thursday night? Well, you know, they have some guys who can shoot it. Um, and on nights when they do shoot it, they're very competitive. Now, you know, Norchard O'Meara, who was the uh, player of the year last year, he's going to Miami. Um, and so they've got a different guy in the middle who's not nearly as good. Look, I don't think Arkansas State's a very good team. But it seems like the Cajuns always get their best shot. So I expect on Thursday that they're going to make some shots, probably more than they normally make. And, and it's going to be a war there because it usually is. Um, so, you know, we'll see. Um, I Like I said, I don't think they're, they're really a very good team. And at the same time, uh, when you're on the road in this league, look, this is the only conference in America where everyone has at least two losses in conference. That tells you a little bit about the balance of this league. I think that you've got to go out and play every night because everyone – is capable of beating you if you don't the top six teams in the conference you're right jay are all four and two and then you have a trio that are three and three so the difference between number one and number eight in the standings isn't very much as it stands right now on january 16th let's shift gears a little bit while i have you and let's talk a little baseball it's going to start in just a few weeks the season coming off sunbelt conference tournament championship in an NCAA regional appearance Matt Deggs's team obviously loses some considerable talent from last year's team but another good recruiting class development of the guys they already have what are the expectations for Matt Deggs entering this season well I I think that there are two things we know about the Cajuns they're going to play good defense and they're going to hit the baseball um, they're deeper than they were a year ago. There's some competition going on for some starting spots on this team, but they do return six or seven guys who got a lot of at bats last year. Yeah. So they're a veteran team um, that's going to play with a lot of confidence offensively and defensively. They're going to be solid because DeBarge is really good. Uh, they've moved Max Marshak to second base. He did a great job in the fall. Um, and then whoever wins the third base job, both of those guys are good defensively too. The question is, and the thing, I think the thing that that's the challenge for this coaching staff as they start spring workouts is who are going to be your weekend starters. Now we know Jake Hammond is going to be one of them and he's probably going to go on Friday. But I think the rest of this is up in the air. Now, you know, I've talked with Seth Thibodeau and he tells me, that they have more quality depth on, on this team on the pitcher's mound than they had a year ago, Ooh. which is good. But there's no Gunnar Leges out there. And so you got to find the guys that can get you off to a good start on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. They're not afraid to throw three, four, five guys a game because they have depth. But your starters have to get you off to a good start, and they need to identify who, who those guys are 
because I think going into the spring, I don't think they know the answer to that. Now, we know Hammond's going to be one of those guys. Could it be a situation, Jay, where they figure out who the Saturday starter is and then maybe it's a rotation of guys early on during the non-conference slate for that Sunday spot until they can figure out who it is? Possibly. Um, you know, I, I think that just uh, the talking with, with Seth and Matt last year and getting to know their philosophy as the season goes by, the one thing that they're going to look for in their Sunday guy is the guy who throws strikes. Uh, because everybody's third guy is a question mark, maybe with exception of Southern Miss. Um, and so, you know, if they're a question mark and you've got a good offensive team, you're going to score. Now, what's going to kill you on Sundays if you go out and walk people? So I think they're going to look for the guys on Sunday who are the strike throwers. And I think the one who does the best job of that may get the nod on Sunday. Are the Golden Eagles of Southern Miss, do they present the biggest challenge to the Louisiana Raging Cajuns for Sunbelt dominance this season? I don't think there's any question. Um, there are a couple of polls that have them in the top 10 preseason. They're good. Um, almost everybody's got them in the top 25. Uh, I think that they are going to be the favorite uh, in the league. Now, I think that there are some other very good teams in this league. Okay, I think the Cajuns will challenge. I think Texas State, uh, although they lost a lot of offense, they've got their top two arms back, so they're going to be solid again, I think. Georgia Southern will be good again. Old Dominion coming into the league is going to be very good. Then you've got South Alabama and Troy, who are always tough. So this is going to be a really good league. Um, And I didn't even mention Coastal Carolina. Uh, But this is going to be a good league, but – but it runs through Hattiesburg, I think. Um, they're going to be they're going to be solid again, and um, if you want to be the champion, you better be able to beat them. That late season series in Hattiesburg that is going to be whew, that's going to be blockbuster, Jay, between the Cajuns and the Golden Eagles, brother. Yeah, yeah, it's the last uh, last series of the season, which means it's a Thursday, Friday, Saturday series mm-hmm. over at Pete Taylor Park, and you know my hope is. Those two teams are playing for a regular season championship. We'll see. Jay, appreciate your time. Safe travels during the second half of this uh, road trip that the Cajuns men's basketball team is going through, brother. Appreciate the time and have a great week. Have great calls. Uh, you, you have a great week, too, and, and make sure that Hannah has a, a great week in her short time there. And uh, thanks for having me, and go Cajuns. It's Jay Walker. Longtime voice of the Louisiana Raging Cajuns joining us here to talk all things Vermilion and White. we got to take a timeout. We'll update the poll question of the day. You want to get a phone call in? We'd love to hear from you. Game hotline is open, 337-706-0111. That's 337-706-0111. You're listening to the game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and you're home for the LSU Tigers and the World Series champion, Houston Astros. Did you not get what you really wanted during the holiday season? Were you hoping that someone would give you a late gift, maybe send you a card in the mail with some gift cards and it never happened? Not to worry, because your friends at the good old game have what you really want in our clubhouse. You can find it at 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com. As a member of our rewards club, you're going to have the opportunity 
to score great prizes. This is what you can win right now today. $150 gift certificate to Mr. Lester's Steakhouse at Cypress Bayou Casino Resort. A $25 gift certificate to Mabel's Kitchen, also at Cypress Bayou Casino Resort. There's a $40 gift card to Misfits Dine and Drink in Broussard. And a $50 gift certificate to Richard Seafood Patio in Abbeville. Once you become a member of our Rewards Club, you can enter to win these great prizes, but you can only score them by becoming a member of our clubhouse at 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com. It's free. It's simple. So go sign up today. Poll question of the day. Who's going to win tonight? It's going to be them boys. It's going to be them bucks. For Saints fans, I think everyone would hope that it would end in a tie and both would be simply eliminated from the festivities. Is that is that a possibility? Is that a possibility? No. Yet Tom Brady and the exhaustion that that has become and the Bucks who have a losing record, they're your division champs of the NFC South. Taking on the Dallas Cowboys, who on paper should be better than Tampa. Yet, people have doubt. Edward on Facebook says, another playoff winning performance by Brady and the Bucks. We all know what the Cowboys will do in the playoffs. Once again, Dallas hasn't won a road playoff game, I do believe, since 1993. What year were you born? Miss five names? Again? 98. There you go. So, last time the Cowboys won a road playoff game was before Hannah Five Names was born. So, that puts things in perspective for what's on the line tonight. That said, and I know Dallas is 0 for 7 against Tom Brady historically. I actually like Dallas to win tonight. It pains me to say it, it does. It actually hurts the inside of my body to say this. But I believe the Cowboys are going to win. Tampa doesn't have anybody across their offensive line that can block Micah Parsons. They just don't. They they, they don't. He is going to be a disruptive force in this game. Now, Tom is quick about getting the ball out. I understand that. And they got stud wide receivers everywhere with Godwin and Evans. I get it. And they still got Leonard Fournette running the football, but... This Tampa team gives me no confidence. And Parsons, I think, is going to be the difference maker in this ballgame. He just is. As much as it pains me to say Dallas Cowboys are going to win tonight and snap that playoff road losing streak, I think that's what's going to happen. Parsons is going to be a difference maker. He's going to disrupt Brady enough to be able to make some plays you just worry if you're a Dallas fan if their offense can actually be competent enough to put up points. Because that offense has been wildly inconsistent. When Dak looks good, he looks really good. When he looks bad, he looks really bad. And this season, he's looked both. So what's going to happen tonight? As much as I hate the Cowboys, and I do, I feel like they're going to win. It's going to be an ugly game, but I like Dallas's chances 
to win tonight's wild card game. That's our poll question of the day. Who will win? Right now, 54% of you believe the Dallas Cowboys are going to win. 46% say the Tampa Bay Bucks. B-Rad on Twitter says, Cowboys going to rope them, Brandon, then put them out to pasture. Dallas in a route. B-Rad says, Dallas in a route. I love the confidence. Always appreciate the confidence. If they do win in a route, if it is a lopsided affair, that would be the perfect bookend for the weekend, wouldn't it? Wildcard weekend began with San Francisco taking Seattle behind the woodshed and, you know, whooping them. And then we had the Los Angeles Chargers appearing to do the same thing against Jacksonville before they choked away a 27. I was going to say 17 because that's more realistic. No, no, it was actually 27-point lead to lose a close game to Jacksonville. And then we had three close games on Sunday. Bills messing around, playing with their food, as they like to say, against a depleted Miami Dolphins team. Giants winning by a touchdown in Minnesota. And then the nightcap, the Bengals playing with their food against the Baltimore Ravens. Both the Bills and the Bengals are legit Super Bowl contenders. And both of them on wild card weekend messed around and played down to their competition, played sloppy, committed turnovers, committed mental mistakes, penalties abound, and they looked bad. Cincinnati should have routed Baltimore. Baltimore was playing their backup quarterback who was injured, and he played through the injury. And they had to win on a scoop and score by a defensive lineman on a fumble return. That was the difference in the ballgame. What? Like, what? And then Buffalo, Miami was down to their third-string quarterback. Third string. This is the guy that doesn't even get runs with the number ones during camp. And they struggled to put away a mediocre Miami team that was injury-ridden. Now, to be fair, both of those games were, in fact, divisional games. You played against a division rival for the third time. I get it. But if Buffalo and Cincinnati want to win the Super Bowl, they can't play the way they did yesterday. If they play the way they did yesterday on Sunday, wild card weekend, they will lose. Because there's other teams in this league, in this playoff bracket, that will not play as sloppy as them. Period. Keep those votes coming. Keep those comments coming as well. We're going to talk about those Cincinnati Bengals who did gut out a win against the Baltimore Ravens in the wild card round. When John Sheeran joins us coming up next, our friend from Cincy Jungle. That's coming up on tap, on deck, if you will, right here on the game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers and the World Series champion, Houston Astros. Cincinnati Bengals capped off the triple header last night in the wildcard round by defeating the Baltimore Ravens, but it wasn't pretty. Ravens, on their backup quarterback, who was banged up himself, gave the Bengals everything they could handle and more. And it came down to a scoop and score by a defensive lineman who took a fumble 
after Huntley was stripped and returned it to the house for the game-deciding touchdown. What about the Bengals? Can they play that sloppy and keep winning? Can we expect them to maybe play more inspired football, cleaner football, when they have to take on the Buffalo Bills, who, by the way, played a very sloppy game and played down to their competition as well on Sunday? To break it down for us is our guy from Cincy Jungle, John Sheeran, joins us now. John, good morning. Brother, how are you? You know, I'm doing good. I don't really remember driving home last night from the game, but um, I'm, I'm sure they will come back to me. But, yeah, I think I think he's pretty pretty much summed it up pretty well. Every single divisional playoff game this, this week between divisional opponents was, was pretty crazy. And, fortunately for the Bengals, um, they came out on top just like every other favorite, every other uh, team that was hosting their divisional rival. But the Ravens are always tough, man. It's always tough playing the team a third time in a season, and they got it done. What was the difference in the game? Because since he jumped out, I mean, after Burrow threw that touchdown to Chase, I was like, okay, they're up and going. They're off to the races. And that's not what happened. No. Um, Ravens defense is very tough. Like, they know how to cap the Bengals offense pretty well to limit explosive plays. Their safeties are really great at disguising these coverages and rotating at the last minute. And that, that does a great job of kind of putting the up Bengals offense in a bind a little bit. And then obviously you have the Jonah Williams injury uh, offensive line. He suffered a dislocated kneecap back in week five against the Ravens. And he's been playing through that throughout this entire season up until last night when I think he probably suffered the same. He, he suffered an injury on the same knee and he was out for most of the game. And then he had Jackson Carmen in at left tackle. So you have three backup offensive linemen in there. Burrow was uh, unfortunately under, under, under duress because of that. And yeah, the Ravens pass rush, not really led by any one, any one dominant player like a Miles Garrett or a T.J. Watt, but they do a great job of disguising these pressures, having these fire blitzes just at the right time, and it got Burrow under under duress and put a cap on the offense, and unfortunately, they only scored 17 points because this Ravens defense is really good, and they have, they have a good plan on stopping the Bengals when they're fully healthy. Divisional opponent is always interesting because the familiarity is there, right? So, and the, and unfortunately for Cincinnati they had to play Baltimore in the regular season finale and the Ravens essentially conceded and said you know what we're not playing a lot of our guys and because there was nothing for Baltimore to play for so they know how to play the Bengals they understand what Cincinnati likes to do but this game really came down to that final touchdown Baltimore looks like it's going ahead they're at the two-yard line and Cincinnati comes up huge with the strip and then the fumble recovery and taking it to the house. It's it's so hilarious because like the narrative with this team is that the defense will find a way to bail out the offense or just to make a game-changing play when it matters most. But we, we you don't expect that, right? You don't expect that the two-yard line when it's with a simple QB sneak or him diving over the, the, the pile to, to at least get in the end zone. And I, at that moment, it was 17-17. It was like the beginning of the fourth quarter and I'm thinking man this kind of sucks like I don't want the offseason to begin now I don't want the you know the whole offseason questions to start now and everything going on but like you don't think it's going to happen like that you think the Ravens are going to go ahead the Bengals offense hasn't done anything mainly in the second half of football aside from that one touchdown that, that, that they had like they're, they're not in a good place right now and all of a sudden Logan Wilson pops the ball out and Sam Hubbard streaking down the field for 100 yards and like they did it again 
like they did against New England when they had their backs up against the wall and they they were blowing a 22 point lead in the in the second half and all of a sudden they force a fumble like they just have this insane timing of making these game changing plays when you least expect it but at this point it almost should be expected because they've just made a habit out of it and once they got up then they were able to maintain it and defensively not only do they score the touchdown but they do a nice job of clamping down the rest of the way to seal the victory yeah yeah like again you you want it to be you want it to end probably a little bit cleaner than that you had a couple of chances to really close out the game with some offensive drives but each time they had to punt the ball away and give it back to Snoop Hundley, who, I mean, credit to the Ravens. They had a great plan. They, they ran against the Bengals really well for the second straight week. Their their whole offensive style is a little bit similar with Tyler Hundley like it is with Lamar Jackson, right? They didn't, they didn't really have to change that much. They had to change a little bit with it when they had Anthony Brown in their third-street quarterback last week because he's, he's not much of a threat as a runner. But you had the Bengals' defense with the Keem Davis gave there playing a ton of snaps. He ended up having an interception in the, in the first half, one of the two turnovers that they forced. But J.K. Dobbins had a pretty solid game for only having 13 rushes, and they just generated, they, they generated a lot of movement with that offensive line. They had Kevin Zadler back who didn't play this past week. Tyler Linderbaum is a great rookie center who generates a lot of movement so credit to the Bengals defense for really stepping up despite not being able to handle the run for most of the game but they ended up stopping it when, they, when it mattered the most we're talking with John Sheeran of Cincy Jungle he joins us here on RP3 and company survive in advance that's what it's all about in the NFL John right you don't get style points it's not about how pretty you look or it's just about getting the dub and moving on but as someone who covers this team and follows this team as well as you do, any concern about how sloppy and how much of a struggle it was to beat Baltimore now that they have to travel to Orchard Park, New York, and take on the Bills? Yeah, when they announced that spread of like, what what was it, nine and a half, eight and a half points or whatever because uh, Huntley was, was starting, I, I've never felt confident that the Bengals were going to match that just because not only of the craziness that we've seen from this weekend in the NFL with um, divisional rivals playing in the playoffs, but just because Baltimore has an, an, a great defense. And I feel like it was probably the best defense the Bengals are going to face on this side of the playoff bracket should they advance. And now they got Buffalo up next to, you know, doesn't really have a secondary receiver outside of Stefan Diggs. They have some issues um, in, in the secondary because their safety is still unhealthy. They're trying to get Micah Hyde back, but he might not be back until the AFC Championship game. I think most Bengals fans saw this game as going to be very ugly from the start just because of how well Baltimore defense uh, knows them and can, can manage to limit the, the, these explosive plays. So this game was going to be ugly from the start, and they only scored 17 points on offense. And that, that pretty much makes make, makes sense knowing what we knew going into this one. But now they're down another offensive lineman in Jonah Williams. They're, they're down to three reserve offensive, offensive linemen starting. And now we're thinking it's the exact same thing as last year. And, and you kind of had confidence – in the right side of the line this time around because you have better backups than you had last year. But I don't know how they can overcome Jonah Williams' injury at left tackle, despite Jonah Williams giving up a lot of sacks this year. Like, he's significantly better than what they have backing him up. So that's just a huge obstacle that they have to overcome for the next week. And he he's already been – he's done, right? He's not going to be able to play against Buffalo? Jonah? We don't know that, we don't know that for sure. Um, all we know is that he dislocated his knee Ooh. against Baltimore back in October. It looked like the same knee that he injured in this game. He didn't return. So the prognosis is not looking good, that's for sure. That said, the Bengals may have looked a little sloppy and may have looked out of sorts against their division rival and had to hold on for a single possession victory at home against a team with their backup quarterback. But 
the Buffalo Bills did the same exact thing earlier in the right. day on Sunday, and that was against the third-string quarterback. Uh, both teams, as I said before, kind of just played with their food on Sunday against teams that are below them in talent-wise and in health-wise. Yet, both played sloppy. Now they face each other, Buffalo and Cincinnati. Does that change your perception at all about Sunday's AFC Divisional game at Buffalo? I feel like the perception is mainly the same. You just now have offensive line questions to address because you don't know who's starting the left tackle. You don't have the, the greatest confidence in your offensive line as a whole. Like I feel like Buffalo is a better matchup for the Bengals than the, than the Ravens were just because that defense knows them so well. You only have 10 minutes of what that game was in Week 17 before it was canceled, but the Bengals' offense is looking pretty good. They, they seem to know where to find the weak points in Buffalo's defense. And yeah, when Josh Allen turns the ball over three times, you're always going to have a chance. Um, it's, it's not too common that he does that in the playoffs because he's been really efficient in, in this time of year but the Miami Dolphins managed to turn the ball over three times and keep themselves in the game so that was their key to victory and unfortunately uh, Skylar Thompson just couldn't do enough at the end of the game to actually win that for them but yeah they gave Buffalo a scare and I'm sure that that's what they're feeling right now like yeah Miami knows this pretty well they played us really well we don't want to have that sloppy of a of a performance again I'm sure the Bengals are feeling that same thing there was uh, reports coming from this game you know, there wasn't a, that big of a celebration in the locker room. It was a lot of head shakes and, and exhales because they know that this game is a lot closer than they felt it should be. And so I, I feel like you're going to get both teams' best performances next week just because of how they kind of eked into the, the uh, divisional round. Lots of emotion, though, is going to be in this game. And I know we've had a couple of weeks since the incident where the player suffers cardiac arrest and has to be brought back to life on the field, which ended up canceling the game. And I know they've played a regular season game and now a playoff game. But should we expect it to be an emotional day when the Bengals take on the Bills on Sunday? Yeah, I'm, I, that's probably fair. Like I feel like that was definitely the Bengals' minds last week when they were playing Baltimore in a game that they didn't really want to play. They, they, they didn't really want to try that hard because they had to play for home field advantage despite the uh, NFL's wishes. And I feel like the Bills... They, they got a huge boost uh, yesterday because DeMar Hamlin, I, I believe, uh, saw them for the first time. It was at the game, and, you know, they, they, I think some nerves kind of got to them a little bit. So when, when these two teams meet, it will definitely kind of bring them back, I think, at the beginning. But once the game kind of settles in, I feel like those nerves will calm down. It, it's probably best for them that this game is not happening in Cincinnati and, and not, you know, on the same field where – the incident happened, but, you know, these teams have gone through a lot in these past couple of weeks, and none of it was ideal, but they've managed to, you know, be where they are right now because of how resilient they are and how talented, talented they are. And this is truly one of the two two of the best teams in this conference, and you're going to get a show on, Saturday, on Sunday afternoon. The game itself, what's the big key to victory for Cincinnati to be able to go into Buffalo and get the win. We we don't we didn't get to see a result in week 17. So we know how these teams, we don't necessarily know how these teams face up because we only got 10 minutes of it. So what do you think the uh, key to victory is going to be for Cincinnati on Sunday against Buffalo? Right, man. Like Josh Allen is really good. He does things that basically no other quarterback does aside from maybe Patrick Mahomes, but Josh Allen gives and he takes away at the same time. That you know, he does. He'll he'll, he'll 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 throw a couple of turnover-worthy throws a game, and it's up to the Bengals to kind of take advantage of that. Again, that was Miami's key to victory. They 
they succeeded in doing that, but they couldn't still couldn't find a way to win because of their third string quarterback. So points off turnovers is obviously going to be key every time any team plays the Buffalo Bills playing at Orchard Park or whatever the stadium is called now. It's it's such an advantage for the Bills just being in that stadium, that atmosphere, that weather. It, like, it's pretty cold in Cincinnati. It was cold last night, but it doesn't match the cold that you get with the lake effect. So that's obviously going to be an advantage for the Bills. And again, like I, I don't know what this offense line is going to look like on Sunday. The Bills have a really good pass rush. It's it's really balanced. You know, again, no Von Miller definitely hurts the Bills, and they've been playing without him for multiple weeks now. But you got Shaq Lawson, you got Greg Rousseau. They can push the pocket. They can they can condense it, and they can make Burrow's life a living hell. So whoever starts at left tackle, like he's got to be prepared because the ball's got to be pre- it's got to get out pretty quick. But Buffalo's offensive line allowed Josh Allen to get sacked seven times. Right now, part of that is because Josh held on to the ball a few times because he tends to do that because that's just his game. Does that give you any type of hope that Cincinnati's defense could be the game changer yet again in another playoff game? Yeah, I mean, it's kind of silly at this point to doubt them from from being clutch in these moments. They've just done it so many times. It's, it's almost become a habit. So Josh Allen, no matter what the defense does, like he will give them opportunities to really change this game. And I feel like that's just something that you can count on. And... You got Sam Hubbard. You got Trey Hendrickson just kind of working back into his normal rotation because he's still suffering from a fractured wrist. You got Joseph Asai, who's really stepped up in these past couple weeks and almost been their second best pass rusher. So you got guys off the edge. You have a defensive coordinator in Lou and Arumo who's a really good job of scheming these guys and rotating them in and out and deploying them on stunts and twists to really get them to push the pocket. So you have two, let's say, you know, battled offensive lines that are going to struggle in this game probably and, and give their quarterbacks chances to really extend plays and, and get outside of the pocket and that's where Josh Allen is really dangerous right he's a moose when running the football you never seen anything like it at quarterback but ball security is not really one of his top priorities so the Bengals defense just has to probably make a couple of these plays to really put them in the game John appreciate your time as always brother thank you for it tell the folks where they can go to read all your work and where they can get it uh, all and how they can uh, follow you on social media yeah we're gonna do a bunch of Ravens recap and and analysis on cincyjungle.com and we'll have some bills previews up later in the week and we'll cover that game as well so catch us at cincyjungle.com John appreciate the time brother thank you RP3 we got to take a timeout. When we return, we'll finalize the poll question of the day and get you set up for Kevin Foot and Footnotes. That's all next right here on The Game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers and the World Series champion, Houston Astros. Uh, let's be honest, we tend to have some fun around here at The Game, 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, a Delta Media station. And look, If you're looking for a career change and have any type of sales experience, it doesn't matter. It could be just retail. It could be telemarketing. It could be auto sales, pharmaceutical sales. It really doesn't matter. Delta Media wants to hear from you. Email your resume to our sales director, Johnette Cochran. That's Johnette Cochran at jcochran at deltamediacorp.com. jcochran.com at deltamediacorp.com, or by calling 896-1600. That's 896-1600. So if you have sales experience and you're looking for a career change and you want to come work for us, give us a call. I want to take a moment to thank our guests for 
helping us kick off this week the right way. Jeff Palermo from Tiger Rag Radio, Jay Walker, longtime voice of the Louisiana Raging Cajuns, and John Sheeran from Cincy Jungle. Poll question of the day is all about the wildcard weekend finale, which will be tonight on Monday Night Football. Reminder, you can listen to that game live right here on the game. Pre-game starts at 7 between the Dallas Cowboys and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. We asked you who will win tonight's wildcard game. 57% of you say the Dallas Cowboys. 43% say the Tampa Bay Bucks. JPK, the OD, says you were right. Who would? I'd rather go get a root canal armed only with a couple of Tylenol for painkillers than watch this game. But if you're a Cowboys fan, here's some tasty snacks for you. And it's a picture, a doctor picture of a Lay's bag of potato chips with Dallas tears. Extra salty. Thank you for all who voted on the poll question of the day, and thank you to all who commented as well on Facebook and Twitter. Well, we'll do it again tomorrow. We'll try to be better. We'll try to be better tomorrow here on RP3 and Company. For the producer extraordinaire, Miss Hannah Five Names, I'm Raymond Parser III, better known as RP3. Until next time, be safe out there. Be kind to one another. Kevin Foot and Footnotes is up next right here on The Game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers and the World Series champion Houston Astros.